It is daunting to try to put into words writer Bill Zamey's remarkable ability to put things into words. It's always given me a little charge to see Zamey's name pop up in the pages of Esquire, Playboy, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone. His legendary interviews and form-busting celebrity profiles are always wildly entertaining and oddly illuminating. And the occasional foray into something longer, like his Andy Kaufman biography or his book on Sinatra, The Way You Wear Your Hat, made the pleasure exponential. He was the only writer to interview Johnny Carson after his retirement, and he's currently writing the once-and-forever King of Late Nights biography, a gargantuan effort that was held up by a most serious but winning bout with cancer that hijacked his life for two years. Now he's back, back to life, back to work, back to the enigmatic Carson, and in a larger sense, back to a world that in the last two years has changed in ways that he's still trying to process. My guest today, Bill Zamey, has always reminded me of another of my favorite writers, Pulitzer Prize-winning film critic, the late, great Roger Ebert. Maybe it's their tremendous facility for articulating the kinds of things that most people can feel but have a hard time expressing, or maybe it's because they're both easy to underappreciate, given that their work most often revolves around movies and entertainers. But Ebert's film reviews were really always more incisive reflections on life itself. And in much the same way, Zamey's profiles of famous people are actually revealing snapshots of our popular culture, which is to say that when it comes down to it, his portraits of celebrities like Madonna, Woody Allen, Warren Beatty, David Letterman, Johnny Carson may purport to be about their famously unknowable subjects. But in the end, we all know that what they're really about is us. I'm Ron Lazaretti, and this is the Hog Butcher Radio Hour. Running here. Now, we didn't really talk before this, and I know you're... Well, you know why. Why? Well, I've learned from the masters uh, that uh, in this kind of thing, you, we can't leave it in the hallway, right? That's right. And so that, Regis that, and Kathy Lee, that's what, you know, I spent a lot of time around Regis. Helped Regis write three books, you know, and... Uh, uh, which is to say I wrote three books for Regis. But uh, the, the thing is, uh, he t you learn his lessons, and one of his greatest lessons is one, you know, for broadcasters and broadcasting, you know, you know, don't leave it in the hallway. When you, you know, greet and meet, you just shut up, don't see each other. You know, he wouldn't see Kathy Lee before the show. I mean, he'd see her, but he wouldn't talk to her. I always thought that was a rap against Letterman that he didn't, that he was cold and didn't visit his Well, Oh, well, oh, so, so I was trying to think of, uh, uh, well, uh, Carson is the one. People talk to him about, uh, I saw you in the makeup room, but we didn't have a chance to talk much or whatever, you know. Right. And uh, Johnny, but he, you always get the sense it's because on purpose. Johnny doesn't, he doesn't want, he, but he would go greet people who would be nervous, really nervous first timers. He would stick his head in the door only for that. You know, they'd be sitting in their dressing rooms or whatever. And he would, he, he famously did do that. I mean, people said, you know, you never see, but just don't talk to Johnny, you know, but Johnny can talk to you. And that's it was the same way with Dave. Dave was that way too. What about Leno? Leno, you know, nobody wanted to talk to him. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody. Jay, Jay didn't require special handling, but you know, but Jay wasn't really the artist that uh, David Letterman or Johnny Carson as as broadcasting artists. That's what those guys are, comic broadcasting artists. It's not, you know, but it's a job. It's great. It's a, it's a guy who can fill 
airtime and talk freely, uh, you know, you know, in right. the camera. It's it's a gift. You know, Johnny did it like nobody's business. Certainly, you've written about late night television mm-hmm. um, as much or more than anybody, and 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 more artfully, I would argue. Um, but you've talked to a lot of people, and you you know this whole notion of celebrity profiles. Mm. Um, uh, celebrity see, journalism. I, at least you were, used the uh, word uh, profile because that does indicate that it's something other than an article. Articles sound like something you can just dash off. People, are, you know, uh, he penned an article. First of all, you've, I hate that. If these are things that should never be said. Penned. Article is pretty bad, you know. You write a story or a profile, you know. Uh, it, this is the world of magazine writing, which incidentally is kind of dead. It's a strange moment in time that we're meeting here. Yeah. Because it, the magazine profile was, uh, you know, a, a huge venue. It was it was its own late-night talk show, you know. I, I would do it for letter, uh, you know, Letterman or whatever. I would write about these people, but I, I'm not talking about that. It's just uh, rolling in the culture, you know. I would do covers of Rolling Stone or Esquire and uh, spend time, ideally, you know, as much time as possible with all these subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the greatest hits of which were over the years of like 20 years through 12. I guess the best of about 20 years is uh, is this intimate strangers uh, mm-hmm. uh, collection of uh, profiles. And in fact... That came uh, out in 02, I guess. Yeah, it was 02. Yeah. Which was the year I did meet up with Johnny Carson in retirement. And it was the only one to have talked to Johnny Carson in retirement. So I guess that would just kind of explain why I would be writing a book about him. But the thing about that is... Uh, uh, these cover stories or whatever—it's it's an art form that I'm afraid is—I don't know if there's a place for it anymore. I right. Don't, I don't know if magazines care. Our our attention spans are so short. Pieces are very very short. You don't get any in depth. And that even sounds stupid to say about celebrity. You know, when you write about celebrity, in my case, I'm writing about me and you. I'm writing about our culture. I'm writing about how we would react to this particular person or, you know, my observ this is my lens, you know, on this person. And, and I would t- then make sentences that, that matters so much to me as a writer. I, I, I sound probably a little defeated right now. And I probably feel that way in the moment. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I'm not quite sure where we are with the magazine profile, with the celebrity profile. Celebrity journalism is a cheesy, horrible, lowest stink, level of uh, of all of all and it's been made worse in a world of you know extra and access hollywood and and us magazine and and you know the star and uh uh you know but even vanity fair and people and all that so i mean celebrity is a total i don't we don't even have to go there it's just a strange strange part of our universe but I, you know, I always tried to write stories that were evocative and reminded you of uh, the, the spirit of each subject, or at least the spirit I would bring to each subject, and uh, carefully write these uh, constructed house of cards. And I don't know that I, I mean, I've not written a magazine profile, I had a little health issue for a couple of years here, and, and so I've not really written in a while, but to write a full on magazine profile right now, it seems like I rip Van Winkle, I, I have disappeared for a couple of years kind of to deal with stuff. And as I come back into this world, I don't see, it's not my world anymore. It has changed. Mm-hmm. It is no, I mean, magazines do not really matter anymore. And, and people do read everything, it seems to me, on, online. And I, I mourn that. I mean, even though we're being heard there, 
it's just what I, you know. It's nice to hold things in your hand. You know, there is something important about a tangible word that you could hold in your hands. Paper, word. You're doing something. Now it's it's so ephemeral. It's just stuff on a screen. I loathe reading stories on on online. The magazine writing business, which was a very very real job, a real thing, uh, kind of doesn't exist anymore. It's it's. Uh, Everything is, you know, online, and it's all about information, information. Uh, at Esquire, we were all encouraged to be writers and write with style and write, you know, and that's still going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, at all these magazines uh, that, that uh, care, still care. But it's, it's, a, it's a strange time. I, I will always say I was declaring the whole thing dead, like, uh, you have, you know, it's over. And then, but I'm thinking, well, no, I mean, there, I know there's scraps left, for me to figure out how I can translate whatever it is that I do into this new universe of, of communicating. And uh, so, uh, you know, I had little hope. I mean, I, you know. So I was cutting through the Drake Hotel to get to my car, which is parked on the other side of the Drake Hotel. And uh, it occurs to me to grab a paper. And, uh, oh, the gift shop is right there. So I, I pop into the gift shop and look for a, for a New York Times and don't see uh, M, M papers anywhere. I they ask, where are the papers? And she says, yes, here, behind the counter. Behind the counter, they keep the papers. This is, they don't want people even seeing papers. You know, if you see them, you may even be tempted to buy one. And that's a, and so by, where, where are your uh, magazine rack? I mean, because I, I have been in there many, many times, bought magazines, nice little magazine rack, high-end, good magazines, very good magazines, nice choices always. And uh, I always find that to be one of life's little thrills. Magazine racks in hotel gift shops. That makes me happy, right? Uh, she said, well, no, no magazine. I said, no? No, no, no magazine. I, where, where are they? No, we don't, we don't, we don't have magazines. I said, why don't you have magazines anymore? <laughs> I mean, you don't have magazines. And the newspapers are being hidden from view, lest they offend someone. <laughs> Uh, and, and she's, oh, no, you know, my, they, they don't sell. They did not sell very well. And, uh, and so uh, they're gone. Hello, hand device. Thank you for ruining the sensual pleasure of leafing through a magazine and finding ideally beautiful imagery and, and uh, exciting and, and uh, dreamy kind of writing, funny writing. Uh, things you will never get, you know, languorously. And, and that's the way a magazine should be experienced. A magazine should be experienced as, a, as, as a something you leaf through. Uh, you know, and, uh, we've lost that. Nobody leafs anymore. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But what a horrible realization. And I left the thinking, oh, this is this, how ironical. I, that was the least of it. My brain was exploding at that point. They're gone. They're gone. You know, anywhere in the hotel, I, I made sure. You no, know, they, like they're not selling. Oh, we moved them up to the front desk. No. We've known each other 10, 15 years, something like that. But I got to know you first through your magazine pieces. And, and it's funny you should talk about it so romantically, the notion of magazines because I really do in fact I can remember a couple times I remember one time specifically um, I was on a road trip for a, a work thing uh, it was a commercial production and we were kind of bouncing around up and down on the east 
you know, near New York, New uh-huh. Jersey, all this. And we would finish shooting in a certain spot and we'd get on a bus and then we'd, we'd take this bus because we didn't want to fly everywhere. We just, so we were going by bus. And I remember going into a store um, before we jumped on the bus to grab whatever, a snack or whatever. Yeah. And I saw the cover of Esquire magazine. It was, the, the article was Dave Hart. And it was about Letterman post his heart oh, attack. It was uh, Esquire, and he was the image of Dave ripping his, uh, standing there like Superman, ripping his shirt open and to, to show that he has this ginormous. Right. And it's Dave Hart by Bill Zamey. And I remember thinking, I'm covered for the first leg of this bus ride because uh, I just can't wait to jump into this. That's and a nice feeling. It's, it's I, I mean, I know what that feeling is like. And it's, a, God, it's an honor to ever have that set of something I wrote. Yeah, you know, you get excited sometimes about seeing a writer. I, I, you know, that was how I, I, there were, you know, a handful of writers, mainly at Rolling Stone, I think, uh, when I was in formative years, you know, in college and just out of college. And uh, I, I just admired, I knew the name and I knew whatever they wrote was going to be a trip. And it was, you know, going to be a trip you know, as provided by their writing style, by their choices, by what they're going to put in. Writing is really, writing is all about what you leave out. So you got to really hone in on something. And, 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 uh, and the, be- the best writers usually do one way or another. And I always found a way to just hone on one thing. Hone in on one major thing and then all the others that sort of filter through that. And, and you have a kind of a funny way to write about somebody. You come to these things to some degree mm. as a fan. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know what? I, I, you have to be a fan of the aspect of whatever it is this person does. You know, there has to be some part. Or it's really hard to write. You know, I'll you bet. Got, even, a, you know, I, I've had to write about Geraldo Rivera, you know. And it's, you know, you have to sort of find a way. And it's not hard with a guy like him, believe it or not, because he's, he's, he's a ham. He's show business. He's, he's really... Uh, but he wants to connect, you know, and uh, uh, and and you can't help but sort of like that guy. He's like, oh, that's nice. That part of you is kind of nice that you want to connect, and you want, you know, and you you, you kind of forget all the you, you sort of forgive him for if that's it sounds imperious to say to forgive him, but you know he's kind of a goofball, you know. He's but but that makes him Geraldo, and I guess you just have to step back and sort of a admire the phenomenon of what this is and try and figure out what the hell it is, you know, if, you, if, if possible. Well, I would think whenever you're doing a profile, you're really trying to get to the heart of something with somebody. You're so, trying to really of kind something of... something about someone. Right, yeah, like yeah. what is it the thing? I mean... It's usually in a... There's a zone of, of thematics uh, going on always with these pieces. One of my favorite pieces that you've done... Uh, Oddly enough, was on Barry Manilow, which I think is also a f- one of the favorites of yours. Well, it is for lots of reasons, yeah. and and I think it's it's a favorite of mine for a lot of reasons too. Not the least of which is, again, it, it, it there's a level of humanity that you approach this with, and also you, you don't just treat it ironically. And I mean, the the this was for Rolling Stone, the title of the piece is The King of Pain and this is the part that always gets me I'll try not to read too long but I also like the way it's written well that means uh, the world you know exactly that's, what, well, so that's, that's, why, that's why I did it that <laughs> oh way. yeah okay. that's why exactly. I did it that way uh, yeah. I mean the opening line is when your name is a punchline you live in hell 
And that leads down paragraph to, he suspects compliments. He sifts them for snide subtext. Conditioning has taught him this. Bob Dylan stopped him at a party, embraced him warmly, told him, don't stop doing what you're doing, man. We're all inspired by you. This actually occurred. He knew not what to make of the encounter. One year hence, it haunts him still. Who knows, he says, shrugging the shrug of one who has shrugged much. (laughs) It seems so odd that Bob Dylan would tell me this. I wasn't exactly sure what he meant. He may have been laughing out of the other side of his mouth while he said it, but it didn't seem like it. I mean, he looked me dead in the eye. But maybe he says that to everybody who walks by. (laughs) He may have had one drink too many. You know, people give me jabs all the time, but not to my face. I sort of left the party for a minute because I wasn't sure. I thought, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, that to me... Yeah, that's in the first paragraph, yes, isn't it? Yeah, in the, in the piece, yeah. and and it's and, yeah. and and it's not a sad sack piece either. Oh no, it's, it's just fun. kind of it's like funny. that odd, yeah, it's strange funny. in between place where you're successful, you're rich, you're you know, you've got a lot of people who adore you, and yet you're also kind of yeah, the punchline. Uh, you know, it's an easy when you hear people invoke his name. It's usually some sort of a joke. I mean, it's kind of yeah, and it's so unfair because it's I've always felt like well. Uh, the, the guy is a master of what he does, and he is probably one of the great last genius forces of show business, you know, and music, uh, music show business, you know. He just writes great show business sounds, but he also he's like a jazz man. I love Barry Manilow. Let's be honest, I'm a big, big, big fan. But he, uh, and that was the dream. I love doing it for Rolling Stone. It was the first time Rolling Stone had ever written about it, but this was like 1991, maybe, I, I, I think. But, you know, he. it was interesting to take just some fathom what that's like to be him. And he's so successful, and, he, you know, he's so huge. People love him. And, and, and a lot of, most all of us love stuff he's done if, if you don't love him. And I, you know, I happen to love him, but I, I've come to know him pretty well over the years. And that was fun to write about a guy, you know, and it, that's one of the interesting things is when uh, friendship began too, you know, and I, I don't do that a lot. That doesn't happen much. I mean, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't, it should only happen with the right people. I mean, I can count them probably on one or two hands that I have in my life as actual friends who I know as people, but it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but Manilow became one of those. In fact, we would go. We would go have these breakfasts at the Bel Air Hotel in L.A. Uh, and I hate breakfast, by the way. I don't, I don't anyway, breakfasts. He likes his idea. Listen, he's, what, what do you want? But we were, it was just his, his guys. He would. This is long after I was doing anything, you know. And and we would basically just talk about our mothers and and how they, you know, basically ruined our lives and <laughs> and at the same time formed us completely in some crazy way that maybe makes sense in the long run and and that's how we ended up who we are you know and and we took elements of whatever came from that and and used them you know well ideally you know you, 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 that's all we can do let's talk about sinatra who looms large for you i think it's the piece sinatra, that you did yeah. in uh esquire right yeah about sinatra and at the mm-hmm. at the at, during dean martin's death yeah, it was an it was a piece that I I, I had in my head for a long time because uh, I just wanted to do Sinatra somehow and I didn't know how, but I just kept circling, and this was in the you know in the eighties and the you know and I saw him uh, uh, 
I saw him at least three or four times at the Chicago Theater. He, right. o- he opened the Chicago Theater, uh, reopened it as a, as a legitimate house again. It was a movie theater for many, many years. And I remember it was a spectacular show. And uh, and then he, I, I was there the night he and Sammy and Dean, you know, came through in the, the Rat Pack Together that, Again tour. Now, that's when they... And, and, Dean, and it was Dean's last night. I yes. saw Dean's last night. It was great, you know, so I feel kind of... Uh, you know, you tell it was his I last could, night? You know, this is funny. I never did the... But I saw that, and that was in that last night that because the, they had to stop the tour because Dean left that night. Dean went back to the hotel, uh, the Ambassador East, and where Frank was always headquartered and where he held court in the pump room or whatever. And, and Dean didn't show up in the pump room that night in the aftermath. And he did, Frank found out he'd left. He'd just gone back. He quit. He stopped. And it was, uh, you know, a thunderous embarrassment to Sinatra. And, and Sammy was in the midst of it too. God love him. And, uh, well, there's the story I always wanted to write is Sammy Davis. I've written a bit about him. Right. But I love uh, that man. I proposed that to Rolling Stone back in the day when we still had Sammy, you know, and, and they they laughed. But they did let me write Barry Manilow. And I, yeah, and I, uh, you know, to say those guys together, I it's fantastic. Those guys are great. You know, they're mm-hmm. just tremendous at what they do. You got to, you know, it's too easy to dismiss things, you know. I mean, it's a, it, at this point, I, I think, uh, the millennials uh, ought to know that, and I think there is a certain reverence now for Sammy Davis Jr. that did not exist uh, ten or twenty years ago. And hmm. Sammy left us, I believe, in '89. I think left us. I, I love got, when you say stuff. I like that. know what he am left I us. He left us. Well, I, I didn't take it so personally myself. He yeah, left. I thought he died. He left the building. <laughs> I well, well, you know, here this is I the miss be- him. this is the beginning ah, of the Sinatra Sammy. piece. And again, just to get well, a, Dean just had, to get a Dean, little flavor. Dean had died, and I, at this time I had been working uh, on an idea that I would go to Sinatra for questions about, I, and I got his publicist to play along with this. I said, here's what we do, you know, and, he, and this was a novel thing. Nobody had ever thought to do this. Can I, I'm just going to submit questions to him as a, what would Frank do, the, Frank's rules of order. People have forever, you know, guys in bars forever have heard Frank on the jukebox. I like to think now it's it's probably my own fantasy, but I mean it's been going on for decades and decades. Maybe not so much right now. To hear Frank and what would Frank do, you know, if you're going whatever you're going through right then and there with your job or your 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 mate or whatever. And women, you know, I think are amused by this too. I mean, uh, but it was the idea that he was a font of this. He was an oracle. Uh, at that point, you know, at that point, Frank had graduated into the realm of a godlike icon in his final 10 years, I think, and when he was traveling around and, uh, and, and touring as an older man. But I'd, I'd started this exercise where I was uh, sending over these questionnaires, just questions of, of things like uh, those questions, like, what do you do when a woman cries? Or, or what's the best cure for a hangover? Or what, uh, you know, how do you address for the night and you know yeah. how to build the, the the exact same Frank you know Jack Daniels on the rocks uh, so you offered up these questions I to wanted him? I wanted to see you know the pure the purity of the guy you know uh, come through the thing that the, the wisdom that you hear in the voice in the songs you know there's wisdom there how could that guy not know everything you know right. when you listen to that catalog of unbelievable music right uh, and uh, he must know everything about love I mean everything about life life love and I, he did he did 
that guy lived as large as large can be. There was just nothing else that could compare. I mean, I guess there's some rock star stuff, but this is Frank. Right. So the vibe is purely Frank, you know. It's a right. much different thing. There finally came an occasion where I, I could start using these things because he was playing along and sending me these things. It was like Frank's, you know, words right. of wisdom about various topics. So, uh, and, and I just saw an era was now officially over. Sammy had already died, and now Dean Martin had just died, and there was only one of them left, and it was called And Then There Was One. That's right. I mean, the, the opening to this is, you know, classic Zamy. In black tie, Dean sleeps forever. He lounges in his marble vault behind the bank in Westwood, draped in midnight attire in the uniform, crimson hanky peeking from breast pocket. He was the beautiful one, always did know how to dress the leader like that that's just a great great open that's uh uh well and you are there right and he yeah. called dean martin dag dag yeah they call for dago dag yeah hey dag yeah yeah it's like and there's another part just down the road after sinatra learns of dean martin's death and the line is wrecked the leader sat amid the leftover on a posty christmas night you're great. Dag was dead since before dawn. I mean, it's a there's like it's a very vivid picture, you know. Um, he was yeah. I heard that he was sitting late at night and he got the word and it was like it was uh, that was in fact was what he was eating at home and and it and uh, it just seemed like an interesting image to me, you know. And and it destroyed Frank. He, you know, Dean was his brother. He had, Frank had no brothers, you know. So really, you know, without question, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. were brothers to him, you know, and uh, a few other people like Jilly Rizzo too. And and uh, that meant the world to him. And, and his world suddenly was like, Sammy's gone, Jilly's gone, Dean's gone. And that was true. And it, it was just him, you know. But <laughs> My two favorite responses, I think one, one is... Uh... What do you never do around a woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what... Uh, Yawn. Yeah, it was one of the great... I don't even know how I came up with the question. What should a man... What should a man never do in the presence of a woman? And and uh, uh, Frank had these uh, stringent rules of order about behavior. He was very stylish in everything he did. And there was a, a, a way. There was a way. The book's called The Way You Wear Your Hat. I think it hits some chord of what we want from Sinatra, which is what I always wanted from Sinatra. In terms of... I love the artistry. But if you know anything about the myths of show business, and not the myths, these are legends, and legends are true legends, too. And the other thing is, um, what do you do when a woman cries? Uh, it's the greatest answer in the history of... Uh, hold on to something, if you've not heard this. This is what you do when a woman cries, according to Frank Sinatra. He says, I usually cry with her. If that doesn't tell you something more about Frank Sinatra than you think you knew already, then you're, I mean, I, I was tapping into something so primal about his essence. Let's talk a minute about Carson. I had sort of free reign to walk around and hang around the Carson sh show in the April before the May he left so for a Rolling Stone piece, just sopping up the vibe because Johnny wasn't talking, but I just wanted to describe what that felt like there you know because it was momentous Johnny Carson finally leaving because that had never really happened you know well, Walter Cronkite retired but it's a different relationship this is a totally this is a far more personal one so it's a huge moment somebody be ripped from your your guts in in popular culture for the first time 
it's fascinating, you know, it's fascinating. So I was there and, and uh, I was able to write about that and I ended up going to the final Carson show because I was good friends with a guy who happened to be the publicist for Doc Severinsen. So thank you, Doc, forever and a day, who's a dear, dear man in my life now. He's the uh, last man standing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, tremendous 88-year-old guy. And uh, and uh, I was able to be there for Johnny's last show, and that felt like going to church. It was like the most, it was like a funeral, but it wasn't. It was wonderful and so weird. It was just the end of something, you know, and you just felt, oh, my God. And, I, you know, you could watch Johnny between commercials, basically. I'm looking at him down there. So I mean, I, was, I sort of like had some sort of star on my shoulder or stardust or whatever when it came to Carson. I was lucky. I somehow was able to be there for his last show. I was somehow got to know just because of life and because you and I talk about the things we talk about. People who work for Carson also talk about the things you and I talk about, you know. And they you became friendly with some some of them. And Peter LaSalle being one who went on to – he was Johnny's producer along with Freddie DeCordova. And LaSalle then went on to work for Dave and sort of was his consigliere and mo- helped move him over to CBS. And he, big, he and his wife Alice, big part of my life. They just t- took me in as a friend, and, and I loved talking to him. And there were people, too, like uh, assistants, you know. And I always say it's nice to get to know. It is nice. I mean, inevitably, you're going to get to know the assistants of whomever's door you're rattling. So you better just behave, and and if you're lucky, they turn out to be great people, and you, and they you know mm-hmm. you have a relationship. This is how uh, I ended up being the guy who got Johnny Carson. Is that you know he knew my work, he knew I, I'd sent him a note saying at some point it was going to be ten years. It was near near the ten year anniversary of his retirement, and he disappeared from public view. You know um, there were a couple little health scares people heard of, but. By and large, you know, he was gone, you know, just MIA, Greta Garbo, you know, and uh, J.D. Salinger, That's, that was Johnny. But the truth of the matter is, is he was around and, uh, uh, you know, and he kept an office at, at that point. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was in Santa Monica after he retired. But anyway, it was 10 years after. I sent him a note at this point, and he, and he did know who I was, and, and he knew I'd worked you know, with Leno and, and his book and uh, found it hilarious that Leno didn't put my name on the cover and it's like, and I, I wanted to point out to Johnny that maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> leading with my chin. Yeah, leading with my chin. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who came up with that one, but it's... Uh, it's uh, I don't know. What, where, 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 where do we want to go with this? You can tell me. You can tell me. You know, fr- from the time that you kind of approached him about this. Well, I did. I, I, I approached him uh, with, a, with a note that said, it's only going to be 10 years once. I know all these people in the late night because I've been writing about Letterman and Leno for years. And, uh, and he knew that. And, and he knew me to some degree. And, uh, he, you know, I, but I basically, I didn't ask him. I told him. It had come to the point where it was like, I'm just going to write this piece about you in retirement. I can talk to people. If you don't mind... I would like to be, you know, you know, fully. If there are any ground rules, tell me. But I really, I, people miss you, and uh, believe me, I, I just want to give the world a sense of what's going on in your life and what you're doing. I was, you know, being firm with him, you know, from my position as a, you know, fairly well-known national journalist of, you know, some know. And, and, you know, just saying, okay, I'm going to do this because we got to do this. But here's the thing. 
you tell me what you who you don't or if there are any ground rules, I will follow them. But I must write about you in retirement. And the phone rang, and it was Helen Sanders, his assistant, for years, and uh, and uh, she's a wonderful person. You gotta you get you get to know these uh, these assistants pretty well. There are some great people, you know, who worked with with him in those last years, and uh, I know them all. But uh, but uh, Helen says, yeah, I have Mr. Carson here. Would you like to speak with him? Now there's a question. <laughs> No, <laughs> what? Nah, no, you know, uh huh, yeah. And he comes out. Oh, you read a hell of a letter, and and then he was, you know, very open to the idea, and he said, "No ground rules at all. I don't give a shit anymore. You know, let, let people say whatever they want. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and 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 basically, yeah. But you know." He wanted to know how things were going too. Later on, he, oh, because when I finally met him, you know, he, so who have you talked to? <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> just like anybody else. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah, you, you, you talked to who? Steve Martin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I talked, you know, I talked to lots of people before I went to see him. I think everybody, you know, he was in this great poker club that persisted up until his death, but it was about four times a year, and it. Was this astonishing group? I, one night, uh, I think it was like a fortnightly thing, but it had Steve Martin, it had uh, uh, Neil Simon, uh, it had. Uh, well, I know Martin Short dropped in a lot. I know uh, Carl Reiner, uh, Johnny Carson, Chevy Chase. Believe it or not, it was like the poker of the gods of comedy kind of I mean, would you like to be a fly on the wall for that for right sure. just to, just to hear that banter i mean god so you ended up at lunch with carson is that yeah, basically up, when oh, most of the conversation well, oh, happened? well on the phone he said uh, yeah go on ahead talk to everyone uh, you know if you're out here uh, you want to have lunch and I, uh, no of course you just say yes Wow, that would be tremendous. I would love nothing more. You know, don't oversell. So, and what was the sense when he said, you want to have lunch, that that will be an interview or we can just discuss this further? Exactly. <laughs> so that's how I proceeded. I just, uh, you know, let's just go in there. I mean, and I, I will say that, that, you know, I was hiding my device. I had a little digital recorder in my pocket for the... Uh, better part of it. Only because I just didn't want to unnerve him. And he has a problem. I, I remember, I've read many times that he had a problem with uh, with uh, being tape recorded. I don't know why, but he, he preferred people took notes. But he probably just believed his voice was his own. So you show up at this restaurant. Yeah. Are you first or is he there already? He's, uh, no, no, I went up to the office. I okay. went up to his office and we, wa we walked down together. So that was funny. I sat with him in his office for a while. I went in and we sat at a big table. And, and you, it's okay. You go down, you go to the he, restaurant. What happens what wanted, then? That's what he wants to know who I've been talking to and what the, what the hell's going on. And, you know, I give him some, you know, you know, generally adulatory information, you know. Uh, but, you know, I did find that Johnny in retirement is a guy who would go out with people he used to work with whom he never paid attention to and would never give him, you know, he would never give the time of day. And now he's sort of like, after all those years, he realizes they've been doing this for 30 years or whatever, and they gave that much of their lives to him. 
And uh, so he, he sought out a lot of those people. Just, really? Just to kind of get to know them a little bit. And it like uh, blows them away one after another, or it did, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's not necessarily doing penance so much as it is just, you know, thanking somebody and why. Just want to know the person behind, you know, it's when you're Johnny Carson and in the moment, you know, it's hard to regard people as people as much as you're going to get that done, you're Mm going to get that done. And uh, and in this case, you know, I think he he threw up the veil or something. Take me a little bit into that lunch. Where did you eat? Arnold Schwarzenegger happened to own the building where Johnny had an office and also uh, owned a restaurant called Shotzi, uh, a, a sort of a Bavarian, uh, you know, fun house of a restaurant uh, in, the, in the same building. So we, we went down and uh, Arnold did come up to the table at some point and uh, check out how things were doing or going. Really? Yeah. So you're sitting with Johnny Carson and I'm, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes up to the table yeah, it was one to of those see how things are going. But now you're sitting at lunch with Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. How does that how does that work? Well, you got to just pretend you're you're having lunch, you know. And do and, are people aware of him being some, there? Is that some, does that mean something to people at that point? I think in time? so. I think so. People see him. You know, he's. Uh, uh, I mean, he didn't look quite himself anymore. You know, he was. He was. How much different was bulkier? He, he wasn't slender. He was sort of bulky chested. Um, because of his bare, emphysema and I think, steroids, I think perhaps? steroids, or? yeah. He, but he had a bigger chest and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. How did he sound? His voice was um, the most alarming thing about him, to tell you the truth. It's, it was almost like a cottony whisper, you know, and, you know, and it would be emphysema that uh, t- took him, you know, in the end. And he did have to spend a lot of time uh, with oxygen tanks, which he despised, you know. And, did he have one there at the restaurant? Uh, oh, no, not at that point. It was right. usually for nights and things like that, you know. Right. But, um, no, he, he flew without it, you know, in that regard. But, yeah, he would he would drive down from Malibu to Santa Monica, where this office was, once, uh, you know, once it was up and running. It'd drop it and then keep going to Marina Del Rey, a little further down the way, and go get on his monster boat you know did you sense that he was happy or in his retirement i mean i think the the american masters show that you were featured pretty heavily and about carson um it you know leaves you with the impression that he died sad and lonely Mm -hmm. right and um but you know there are elements of the piece that you wrote that that would that would kind of suggest that he was living his life as he wanted to live it in those final years, or at least when you spoke to him. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, right. Do you think that was the case? Do you think he was sad and lonely at the time when you spoke with him? I don't him? know that he was so lonely. And, and I'd heard, you know, don't worry about him, you know, from women who cared about him. Is he a difficult subject to be a... Oh, I think he's one of the most difficult, challenging guys. Johnny is a forbidding subject. I guess I, I should have made, you know... More, more, he is a forbidding. He just requires your. He requires me. Yeah. He really requires me. He requires me to to um, fathom him, and that's what I keep doing. I'm just fathoming and fathoming. But isn't that a ch- isn't that a challenge you you enjoy? I love it. The idea of having to kind of be the one to c- sort of crack the case, like you know, 
get inside Warren it's, Beatty's it, mind. It's fun. Get to talk to Carson. Yeah, yeah. You know, guys like Letterman and Carson too strike me as they're two of your biggest subjects. Yep. yep. And yet, and in part because they are they just have that unknowable quality about them. They have this tendency of, of being right out in front of the public. They're, they're there all the time, and yet they've got this wild private reserve um, that you feel like, uh, I really don't know this guy. I really like this guy, yeah. I really whatever, but I don't know this guy. Uh-huh. And it seems like that really, you're drawn to those cases particularly. Yeah, you know, you you think you you kind of want to know what what is his world really like? What it, what it, you know? It, it fascinates me, you know, to think of these people, and I, I especially you know, in the realm of the arts and entertainment, and in particular, I guess uh, there's so few left right now of anyone that interests you, or do you really believe that there's? I mean, they, I mean, because it's understandable that we would be interested in guys like Carson, who we kind of grew up with, and right, all that. Right. Do you think there's less of those guys out there now or just less that you and I care about? Oh, I think there are less guys out there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I think it's, you know, the ranks have thin, And it's because the the quality standards, the standards are so low. A lot of your focus has been on late-night television. And when you think about the late-night television landscape right now, there's more guys than ever. And actually, you know, I'm not a fan of everybody. Right. But they're pretty formidable guys oh, uh, yeah, yeah. in those roles. I mean, you and I were talking the other day about how Colbert seems to be all of a sudden kind of finding is getting some traction. He is. He's on fire, I think. You've got Kimmel. You've got, you know, you had Jon Stewart for years. You, you have Larry Wilmore. You've got, I mean, so in other words, there's a lot of interesting things going on in that time slot. Yeah. Whereas before, oh, yeah. Johnny kind of ruled. There was a period of, of Johnny and Dick Cavett. And after that, it was like... Maybe the occasional Merv Griffin throw in a Pat Sajak once in a while, throw right. Chevy Chase to the Wolves for yeah. a minute. Sure. Um, but it seems like now that landscape is kind of, in a sense, well, I won't say it's more interesting because I don't know that it is, mm. but but it's certainly got a lot more going on. Right. So in that case, there seems to be almost more guys right. than there's ever been. Do any of those guys? Well, those guys, there are more guys doing this stuff. So you have to begin to get real picky, you know, because, but I watch all of them. There's something important to me about, you know. The, about late night. Yeah, sort of, uh, you know, the pat- night patrol. I'm very interested. Do to you see. watch it at night? Do you watch uh, it yes, in its I, time, I, some I, of it? I try very much. I try to do it at night, yeah, because those shows don't feel right in the daytime. You know, the ones you look at in the daytime, you just better be fast forwarding to see the. Uh, interview at the desk because you're you're anything else is going to be lost and yet so much of it now seems to be aimed at just however people want to digest that stuff right whether it's online whether it's you know uh dvr'd and you're watching it at a different time um it's like it you don't have quite the atmosphere that you used to have around it oh yeah well atmosphere is everything and no it's also pristine and it's so uh Clinical. Do you see yourself writing more things? I know magazines. Oh well, don't magazines. Exist. Oh yeah. They, you know, like well, what? What do you well, want to write? Well, I mean, I would love to do some things. I've gone through a health uh, thing, and I, I probably need to write a personal thing, which I've never done. You know, I've never really written about. I've never really written about my own deal, whatever that would be. And in this case, you know, I, I guess I had this harrowing, yeah, experience with. Uh, 
cancer and was you know out of circulation but out of circulation for a couple of years i'm only now rising i thank you so much for bringing me here because you're reminding me i i did other work before i <laughs> fell into the uh rip van winkle hole well you really that, you i mean you really did have to check out for a, a a long spell here it's been very odd i mean i don't know what to say about it other than it's just p- part of my brain coming back too it's a lot of i you know i spent a lot of time in the hospital and had big operations that how long were you in the hospital i was in the hospital for five months that's five a months. long time to be in the hospital i apparently that's true i who knew i didn't know i just thought it was just, you know I, I i i went for the cancer and stayed for the view <laughs> <laughs> out the window. It was a beautiful, you know, Lakeshore Drive. It was a St. Joe Hospital up on uh, the north side. So uh, hard getting back into the swing. Oh, it's well. I mean, physically, it was. It took it took a better part of a year, and I had to do more chemo after I was released, uh, and that went on for a half a year again. You know, and and so. Uh, I, everything's great. It all looks good. Yeah. It, they, they use that you term. You look like a million bucks. I look like uh, at least a hundred anyway. No, you're... And I... And I, I uh, yeah, it's just... it's it's. Uh, so something personal. Well, it seems like people want to know about this sort of thing. And I, I, you know, would... I like just telling people, you know, if you know, you know, I'm worried I might, you know, show about, uh, you know, having beaten cancer, such as it is, if one can beat it. But anyway, the point being... Uh, yes, I'm busy working on my one-woman show. <laughs> I really think, I mean, you say that you haven't written a lot about yourself, and yet I think you write a lot about yourself all the time. Oh, I do. Things. I do. I do. But, I, but I, as far I, as front and centering your thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, to make me a character and in, in really the subject of the, uh, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I train lenses on others, but for me to turn it around. And that's what real writing is. That At this age of my life, you know, I'm 57, and I should probably be writing like that, you know, and writing things, you know, personal essays about my thought. I guess that all sounds like it's just, uh, you know, a bag of gas to me. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I, being yeah. able to articulate yeah. what other people are feeling or uh, or give them a sense of, you know, of well, not I, being alone in something. I have, uh, I mean, I have so many insights into all kinds of things and it just, it's just life itself. Uh, it, it just, I'm still I have no idea what happened to me. I don't know. I mean, I've been taken apart. Much of my liver is gone. My entire, uh, I, my colon is gone. I, you know, the, uh, I, it was rectal, you know, cancer stage five. And uh, it, it uh, I, I didn't realize that stage four, I should say, stage, stage five, uh, we'd have to have this dipped into a a cemetery plot to be having the I didn't know I didn't know I just thought you know these doctors uh, my doctors are terrific you know you hear this all the time from people blah 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 great doctor great doctors they mean the world to you especially the the nurses and all that it's a wild thing but it's all about your attitude I guess and I sort of maintained a certain buoyancy throughout this thing and I never once thought I was going to check out uh, but but there was one terrible thing after another that kept happening yeah. you know, to me and I just it's a part of my life that gives me the, I mean, it's terrifying memory. It's a horrible memory, you know. It's this, and I don't know how I did it, but I, but I begin to think about how I, because something about that spirit I somehow summon. This sounds goofy. It's just me like saying, you know, all right, next, bring it on. What else you got? Let's go. Boom, you know, whatever you got, hit me. Let's do it. Because I insisted to keep keep things light right you keep it light 
and you never for a minute start thinking the dark thoughts. You just got to keep it light. And with the people. So play with your, you know, play with your nurses. Play with, you know, just ask them about, they were on right. a date last night. What did you, you know, anything. Get, uh, you know, feel life. Feel their life. I'm thinking there's something huge in doing that. There's something really huge. People have told me when I've told them this. Right. That it's like, oh, Jesus, really? And you never, you never really went to the dark side with uh, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I kind of knew it was there, but it's like, well, I can't be bothered with that. We have, we have, we got to get this thing and keep going. Here, I'll tell you something. I, I mean, is this okay to just talk about that? Yes. I mean, we're not talking about. Yes, I'm just talking about what it's like for me, a writer guy, yes. me, uh, to be climbing out of a pit, you know, hand claw by claw, day after day, one way or another. You know, I'm trying to sort of reemerge, and this is the pro. It's like a butterfly deal. Soon I'll have these wings. and uh, I think you're doing great. Yeah, I feel the wind. <laughs> I feel it coming. It's coming. It's coming. You know, when I first heard I had cancer, I, I just, you know, I tried to think it somehow uh, was, you know, fashionable. <laughs> it's, it's like, kind of, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's my time. Here it is. Okay, everybody's doing it. Here we go. Now, now, how do we go get rid of it? How do you do that again? Oh, you die or you don't. Okay, well, I'll go over there and try. Let's see what happens. The die part, you just kind of dismiss quickly, you know. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Enough about that. But what about the, the other part? <laughs> you know, that's, yes. uh, uh-huh. let's do it. That, I, I, it sounds ridiculous. That's the formula. Joining me now on the Hog Butcher Radio Hour is a friend, actor, improviser, musician, composer, and uh, podcast host himself, Yeah, the Go Bears Go podcast, which you took all of last season off. It was a good season to take off. Yeah. I, I would have liked to heard your take on it, but well, okay. You're picking <laughs> it up again this year? We're going to try. Okay. Well, Joy, I appreciate you joining me today. We're actually... Uh, have not been to this point terribly political on the Hog Butcher Radio Hour, but there mm. was an issue that I thought could possibly use addressing, and I thought you'd be the guy to do it. Yeah. And it really revolves around a campaign song, mm. but more specifically, a campaign song for Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, Joe, last week Trump was supposed to uh, have a rally here in Chicago, but things did not go yeah. as planned. It, it didn't go well. And my sense is, judging by some of his comments since then, his feelings were quite possibly hurt. Yeah. So I think we offer this as kind of a an olive branch, kind of a mm-hmm. no hard feelings thing. But this this is about campaign songs. And uh, let me give you a little background here, and then we can get into uh, how you helped us out, Joe. Sure. Um, tr- over the years, there have been many instances of controversy over songs used in presidential campaigns. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example... Uh, John McCain tried to use ABBA's Take a Chance on Me Yeah, uh, when he was running with Sarah Palin. Um, ABBA apparently stood in the way of that. Um, so then they, they uh, instead they used Hart's Barracuda because Sarah Palin's nickname in high school was Sarah Barracuda. Good nickname. Yes, and they used that, but, but Hart asked them to stop using sure. that. George Bush, the senior, uh, tried Don't Worry, Be Happy. 
Hmm. Bobby McFerrin did not want him to do that, so they used this land is your land. Uh, Sam Moore, uh, who wrote, who uh, recorded the famous Soul Man, uh, was uh, Bob Dole tried to use that. Yeah. Uh, they tried to change it to I'm a Dole Man. Dole Man, that's good. Yeah. It's good parody work. Yeah, he didn't, so, but Sam Moore did not like that. But in, uh, you know, it balanced out later because in 2008, uh, Sam Moore also sent a cease and desist to Barack Obama's campaign after his oh. song, Hold On, I'm Coming, was used at some rallies without his permission. So mm-hmm. I guess the bottom line, and, and the Donald Trump thing more recently is Donald Trump tried to use Neil Young's Keep On Rockin' in the oh. Free World and... Um, that that didn't fly with Neil yeah, Young. It's who, a big mistake. He wanted to have, and he's, a, I think, supporting Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess what I was thinking was, you know, back in the good old days, Joe, yeah. uh, people made up their own campaign songs. Yeah. And then nobody could tell you whether you could use it or not. Exactly. They you were know, yours. They were yours. Like when Harrison was running for president, um, you know, Tippy Canoe and Tyler Two, that was part of a, you know, I think it's the lyric. one lyri- of my favorites. Well, I, I won't sing it, but the lyric says, for Tippy Canoe and Tyler Two, and with them we'll beat Little Van. Van, Van, Van is a used up man, and with them we'll beat Little Van. So yeah. that's even more specific and to the point. Um than the uh, lyrics of running on empty. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, there's also, uh, you remember the great one, Get on the Raft with Taft. Oh, yeah. Well, so inspired by those, I asked you to write a Trump campaign song. Yeah. So he could have his own song mm-hmm. and, um, and and not have to worry about permission. Yeah. And believe it or not, these are the first campaign songs I've ever written. Uh, I've never done that before. So this was quite a thrill for me. Well, I'm I'm glad you took it on. It's yeah. not easy, particularly because I don't really know if you're a Trump man, but mm-hmm. um, but you took the job on kind of as just like a, you know, yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Well, you know, I had to put myself in that headspace, and it got scary for a while, but I, I think I came out on top. Yeah. Now you've come here with two tracks, mm-hmm. uh, well, or maybe one and a half. I should. I'd say, say one and a half because you abri- you started in one direction, and and I asked you to bring that too, just because yeah. I hate to leave anything behind. There may sure. be something to it. Um, so could can we give a quick listen to uh, the track that you uh, did? You want to set this up? Yeah. Uh, so I I started working on this, and I I made the mistake of playing it for uh, my girlfriend, and she told me it was wrong, uh, that it was not very Trump, and. She was right, but I, you know, I had passion for it, so I kept going with it, and I, I just have the half a song done for you here. Well, I know Dee, and I trust yeah. your opinion, but yeah. I, but nonetheless, I'd like to give it a listen because sometimes you might have caught her on a bad night or something. That's that's right. This okay. one this one is called Trump. Okay, it's just called Trump. Let's give it a Donald listen. Trump. Twenty sixteen, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little soulful. Yeah, I like it so yeah. far. Just really the intro here. Okay. I, I'm been I'm big into intros. It's making me want to hear more. Yeah. Where would we be with the woman in charge of this country? Let me tell you right now, we'd never survive with the woman in charge of this country. Ah. Here are three reasons why. Periods, having kids, Tupperware lives. Whoa. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Could, could we stop it a second? My legs. Well, yeah. Was, was periods one of the reasons? That was that was the first reason on a list of three, yes. Okay. So I just want to point out another thing here. What you've done here, at, maybe this is another reason, to, mm-hmm. is you've jumped ahead and yeah. assumed that uh, Hillary is... Is going to be the it, candidate, yeah. It will be, okay. I just, I just think that's a good jumping off point for a Trump campaign song is let's uh, not talk about what we're doing and let's instead really insult the other people. Okay. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, could you, uh, Jason, could you back it up a little bit and we'll just listen to the rest. My hands may be small, what's between my legs, what matters to y'all? That's yeah. topical. Sure, it seems that I'm not qualified to run this country, but I'm gonna build that wall and it's gonna be tall. And baby, that's not all. And could somebody please tell me that if Hillary couldn't please her husband, then how could she, how could she please this nation? Oh, where would we yeah, be? Yeah, that's a that's a direct quote, I believe. Of this country. Wow. Yeah, a real tweet. Right now. It's a direct tweet. I'm going to be anxious to hear the other track. Yeah. I'm not so quick to leave this one behind. I think this one has a lot to offer. Yeah, I, it had some legs. Tupperware lids. That's number three on the list of three. And that's uh, that's sort of where I ended it. That's that. I liked it. I, I think it could pull some votes, but and, but maybe not the strongest for Trump. Okay. You know, so do you want to set up the second one then? Yeah. Well, the, Dee's feedback was she saw Trump as more energetic and in your face. And so I, I got a little discouraged because that one isn't very energetic. Uh, and this next one, I just uh, – it, it drew me in more. Okay. Okay. Uh, this one's. Do you want me to give the title or? I don't know. Do you want to hold it off? Maybe that's part of the yeah. reveal or something. That, it could be. I'm not sure. Uh, let's just let's just go ahead and okay, play it. Let's let yeah. it roll. There's a long intro for this one too. Oh, but it'll be familiar. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, I like the other one. Yeah. Thank you. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impels them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of Trump. That's a nice touch. Thank you. Yeah. There's more coming, right? You'll be the people (laughs) of these United States. Oh. You'll be the people we want to vote for Trump. We want the Trump, won't tax our funk, his hair's got swung, for Donald Trump. We want the Trump, won't tax our funk, his hair's got swung, for Donald Trump. 
This is our declaration of from dependence. Yeah. Oh, I did that hug. He's gonna save our nation. It's Trump Dependence. Trump Dependence. Trump Dependence. That's the name of the song. It's yeah. Declaration of Trump Dependence. Won't tax that fun. Won't tax that fun. His hair's got spunk. Is that what I'm yes, hearing, Joe? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, this was originally titled The Declaration of Funk Dependence, but the transition was pretty easy to make. Oh, yeah. Trump Dependence. Trump Dependence. It's got so many ways you could look at that. He's gonna save our nation. It's Trump Dependence. This is, it feels like a companion piece to the other one. Yeah, we the people. You think so, yeah. Maybe like the way they play them on the radio back to back, like uh, well, you know, when you're like at a party and it's like you're dancing or something, and then you do a fast dance, and then it's like, hey, time for a slow yeah, one. You could do back to back Trump. Yeah. And this may be the first presidential campaign song that you could get laid to. Yeah. Well. I'll be damned, Joe. I yeah. think I think you did it twice. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, in fact, if I was in, in any way involved with the campaign, what I would suggest is you roll this out now. Yeah. And then when he's taken on Hillary, mm-hmm. bring then you that, bring that one in as yeah. like a B-side. Yeah. So it's like a one-two punch sort of deal. That's terrific. Yeah. Honest to God, this is beyond my expectations yeah, well, thank when, you. when yeah. we talked about doing this. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, it's, it was my pleasure. Well- uh, well, thank you, man. Uh, it, it's it's got me thinking about Trump in a different way. <laughs> that was the idea, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here, Joe. I, I hope you'll join us again sometime. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Ron. God bless you. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for the Hog Butcher Radio Hour today. I'd like to thank the talented and patriotic Joey Leshock. Uh, I'd like to thank the great Bill Zamey. And just a song before we go, this is the very lovely and captivating Cheryl Tomlin and Pipes singing Train from Cheryl's EP, Allow Me the Pleasure. Until next time, I'm Ron Lazaretti. Thanks for listening. This is not how you want